Hello, my dear friends. Welcome to the He Fasts podcast. Together, you and I, by the grace of God and through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, we will persevere in living a life of heroic virtue and become saints. Each week, we will explore aspects of our Catholic faith to get to understand as best as our limited human minds can manage our Lord's infinite love and thirst for our souls, and so respond with the generosity of heart He requires of us. Thank you for joining me, and I'm your host, Sony Moriyuki. Friends, let's talk about the way of the cross today because it's that time in the liturgical year. So this is a two-part series consisting of a historical background to the way of the cross and actually praying the way of the cross. My first memory of praying the way of the cross was quite profound. It was years ago on Good Friday. I was quite young because I didn't think I'd received my first Holy Communion yet. So we were walking around from station to station, meditating on those key moments that preceded the crucifixion. And I began to grow exhausted because we just kept going and going, genuflecting at we adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, and kneeling on ballast stones while praying the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be. I was quite ready to throw in the towel because A, I was a kid and didn't know how many stations there were and how many more we had to go and B, I was tired of walking and kneeling with no end in sight. And so I remember telling my older sister that I was too tired to take one more step. And she looked me dead in the eye and said, imagine what Jesus must have felt carrying that heavy cross for you. Yo, my pre-seven-year-old mind was blown to smithereens and I was suddenly energized to keep going. It goes without saying that I have never prayed the way of the cross the same way again. So the way of the cross is a devotion which recalls with mindful attention and affection the last stage of the journey that our Lord took in his earthly life. Each step our Lord took in that inexplicably difficult journey was one step closer to the realization of the plan for salvation, the hour of mercy and forgiveness. And when his heart was pierced by a lance, the fountain of grace that would never run dry poured open for love of us. Throughout the centuries, Holy Mother Church has always commemorated that journey of her spouse from the Garden of Gethsemane to Golgotha, because every moment of that journey reveals a mystery of grace and the bridegroom's love for his bride. While the Church has remained faithful to our Lord's call to commemorate his passion and death at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the Church continues to uphold the historical memory of the places where Christ made his final journey on the way to the cross. Let's give this way of the cross some sort of historical context. The way of the cross as we know it today dates back to the Middle Ages. Jerusalem is a city of the historical way of the cross and would thus receive countless pilgrims. 
And so when these disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ returned to their countries, they were moved by a great desire to replicate the holy places from which they had just returned in their own cities. A most spectacular replication can be seen at the Basilica of Santo Stefano in Bologna, Italy. By the way, you should check out some images of that basilica on Google. Anyway, back to the Middle Ages. A number of saints had a loving and contemplative devotion to the Passion of our Lord, and it was their devotion that formed the foundation upon which the present practice was developed. Some of the saints were St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Francis of Assisi, and St. Bonaventure of Bagnoregio. The devotion to the mystery of the Passion of our Lord was further fueled by three things. The first thing was crusades launched to regain the Holy Sepulchre, and the second thing was a new flourishing of pilgrimages from the 12th century onwards, and the third thing was from 1233 the stable presence of Franciscan prayers in holy places. We are now at the tail end of the 13th century, where we find mention of the Stations of the Cross. It is not quite a past practice yet, but a tracing of the path our Lord walked on his way to Golgotha. So this path was demarcated by a series of stations along the way. An account of such a path is provided by a Dominican friar named Rinaldo de Montecrucis in his... Oh my goodness, um, there is absolutely no way I'm going to get this on the first try. So anyway, Dominican friar Rinaldo de Montecrucis documented his path in a book called Liber Peregrinaciones. Liber Peregrinaciones. I think that's as good as it's going to get. Anyway, in this account, he describes stations such as Herod's Palace, the Lithostratos, which was the ancient platform where Jesus took up his cross, where our Lord met the women of Jerusalem, the place where Simon of Cyrene shouldered the cross, etc., etc. The Stations of the Cross as a pious practice, preceded by a devotion to our Lord's Passion, developed from a synthesis of three devotions which spread from the 15th century onwards in Germany and the Netherlands. These devotions are, number one, a devotion to Christ's fall beneath the cross. I was fascinated to learn that the tradition prevailing at the time counted as many as seven falls. The second devotion is to Christ's way of sorrow, which involved making a procession from one church to the next in memory of the way of sorrow. So the way of sorrow is the journey our Lord walked during his passion. For example, from the Garden of Gethsemane to the house of Annas, from the house of Annas to the house of Cephas, from the house of Cephas to the Praetorium of Pilate, from the Praetorium of Pilate to the palace of Herod, and so on and so forth. The third devotion is that to the stations of Christ. So these are the moments when our Lord stops on his way to Calvary for a variety of reasons such as extreme fatigue or, while in the midst of that supreme act of charity he was about to undertake, the immolation of the Lamb of God, he was still anxious to establish a relationship with those he encountered along the way. Such as his call to the women of Jerusalem to weep, not for him, but for themselves and their children, 
about the stations of Christ and the way of sorrow, do you kind of notice a pattern here? The way of sorrow is a state of being in motion with the destination being a particular station. Quite often the stations were marked by crosses, as they are today, to serve as an invitation to meditate the event they commemorate. The way of the cross or the Via Crucis as we know it today has undergone several iterations throughout the centuries in terms of the number of stations and the subject of the stations. For instance, the subject of the first station has often varied. Historians record at least four episodes chosen as the first station. The first episode is that when Jesus was taking leave of his mother. This was less popular due to its lack of biblical backing. The second episode is the washing of the disciples' feet at the Last Supper, as documented in the Gospel of St. John. This episode was found as a first station in some of the devotions in the second half of the 17th century and were found to be quite popular. The third episode was the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, where in loving obedience to the will of the Father, our Lord chooses to drink from the chalice of his passion to the last drop. This episode appeared as a first station for a brief set of Stations of the Cross. This particular set consisted of only seven stations and they were noteworthy for the biblical rigor. They were popularized by the Jesuits in the 17th century. And the fourth episode that also appeared as a first station was the condemnation of our Lord in the Praetorium of Pilate, which is what we have today. It is also worth mentioning that the subject of the stations varied greatly in the 15th century. For instance, some sets of the way of the cross included stations, such as the capture of our Lord, Peter's denial, the scourging at the pillar, the defamatory accusations in the house of Cephas, none of which made it to what we have come to know as a pious practice today. So the Via Crucis in its present form, with the same 14 stations placed in the same order, was first recorded in Spain during the first half of the 17th century, especially among Franciscan communities. And when it made its way to Italy, it found a zealous apostle in St. Leonard of Port Maurice, who subsequently erected more than, check this out, 572 Via Crucis. In 1991, St. Pope John Paul II celebrated for the very first time a biblical form of the Way of the Cross. The biblical form varies from the traditional form in the sense that it omits stations which lack precise biblical reference, such as our Lord's three falls, Jesus' encounter with his mother and with Veronica. In that place we have the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, the unjust sentence passed by Pilate, the promise of paradise to the good thief, and the presence of his mother and the beloved disciple at the foot of the cross. These episodes are of great theological significance to Christ's salvific mission. It is also important to add that the biblical way of the cross was never intended to do away with the traditional form, which remains fully valid. 
Instead, it is intended to highlight a few important stations which have remained hidden in the background of the traditional text. Having both the biblical and the traditional forms of the Via Crucis is a demonstration to the extraordinary richness of the journey our Lord took to purchase our redemption. The journey can scarcely be contained in entirety by a mega 14 stations. And so, my dear friends, what does making the stations of the cross mean for we, disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is an invitation for us to contemplate our sinfulness and what it cost our Lord, every last drop of his blood. It is also an invitation for us to bewail our sins most sincerely as St. Peter did, and an invitation for us to open our hearts in faith to our Lord like the good thief, and an invitation to keep vigil at the foot of the cross together with our blessed mother and the beloved disciple. Because it is at the foot of the cross where we receive the word which redeems, the blood which purifies, and the spirit which gives life.